the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Okay, good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. And I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. If you're home and you've got your Bible, open it up to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapters 1. And um, I'm not going to read this on the program for the sake of time. I only get 27 minutes total. But uh, if you you get a chance afterward, read Ecclesiastes 1.12 to chapter 2, verse 16. But I'll be reading us some snippets here and there of that throughout this lesson. And I want us to talk about wisdom. Is there wisdom in wisdom? The average public library has around 10,000 to 15,000 books on its shelves. You ever walk in a library and just kind of in awe thinking, man, I wish I had this many books. 10 to 15,000. Wow, that's a lot. During the war, uh, during the war of 1812 between England and ourselves, the British invaded Washington D.C. They burnt most of the, the capital down to the ground, including the Library of Congress with its 30,000 books. Man, talking about low. After the war was over, Congress purchased Thomas Jefferson's personal library of 6,487 books to restart that library. 6,487 books. That's a lot for one man. But those collections pale in comparison to that of Abdul Kazim Ismail in the 10th century. He was the grand advisor of Persia, very wealthy, very educated, and he had a library of 117,000 volumes. Volumes. More likely, that consisted of scrolls rather than bound books that we have today. And he loved his books. He loved them so much that even when he traveled, he, and he traveled a lot, when he would go travel, he never parted with them. And he did that because he had these 400 camels that, that were loaded with his library. And they were trained to walk in alphabetical order so that he could obtain the volume he wished at any moment's notice. Amazing. Could you believe that? Everywhere he went, that guy liked his books, his scrolls. All through the ages, knowledge, wisdom has been highly prized by by civilized man. The mark of wisdom for many folks has been the number of books they possess. But Solomon's wisdom, that wasn't measured by the number of books he owned. His wisdom was measured by how much he wrote and how much he knew. So over in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 4, we read this in verses 32 to 34. Solomon also spoke 3,000 proverbs, 
and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Among those who came to hear the wisdom of Solomon was a particular queen. You probably know her, the Queen of Sheba. You know, she traveled almost 1,500 miles to present Solomon with gifts and to ask him difficult questions to discover just how wise he was. And she was so shocked by how well he answered. Here's what she said over in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 6. She said this, quote, Nevertheless, I did not believe their reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You surpassed the report that I heard. Now, if I were to say the name Solomon, you know, what would be the first word that would come into your mind? Now, for me, it's, it's wisdom. That's because, you know, Solomon was so wise. Even to this day, his name has been forever associated with wisdom. So, it is a little odd to read what Solomon wrote in the passage that I was telling you to, to take a look at later on from Ecclesiastes. Toward the end, or at the end of chapter 1, chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, he wrote this. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also is striving after wind. Because in much wisdom, there is much grief. And increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Interesting, isn't it? Now, chapter 2, verse 15. Then I said to myself, As is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, This too is vanity. Interesting, don't you think? After spending a great deal of time focusing on the shortcomings of wisdom, Solomon writes, So I hated life, there in verse 17. So I hated life for the work which, I had, which had been done under the sun was grievous to me because everything is futility and striving after wind. Not just the, the, the things he built and the things he sought after in this world, but even wisdom he's talking about. Wisdom. Okay. Uh, should I read this over in chapter... Yeah, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. First Kings chapter 3, verses 5 to 14. Um, oops. Yeah, 5, 3. Sorry, I got to get my Bible up here. Verses 5 to 14. This is where Solomon becomes king. He's just a young lad, and God asks him, you know, whatever you want, I'll give you. And, and Solomon, the young, young man that he was, uh, commented about how great uh, God's people were. And they can't be numbered. And how can anyone judge? And, and he doesn't even know how to come and go, let alone to judge the people. So he asked for the ability to judge this great people of God. God was so pleased by Solomon. He said, because, in verse 11, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice, behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one 
like you arise after you. Not only that, but God gives him everything. He's so pleased with Solomon's choice, he gives him all three gifts. All throughout scripture, godly wisdom is more highly prized than all other honors a man or woman could receive. And that is because God is always pleased with those who seek his wisdom. So he's pleased by Solomon's desire for wisdom. And apparently, so is Solomon. Um, He wrote most of the book of Proverbs. And uh, the first few chapters, he repeated the theme, Do not forsake wisdom, her, and she will guard you, love her, and she will watch over you. On and on about wisdom and go after her. So what's going on? Why would Solomon be so driven to convince his son of the value of wisdom in one book, the book of Proverbs, and then turn around in Ecclesiastes and tell us how worthless wisdom is? What's happening? Well, um, before I answer that question, or before we answer that question, let's first examine why wisdom is such a valuable commodity to begin with. I'm not going to quote every Bible passage that backs up the benefits of wisdom, um, but I want to give you a few. If you have God's kind of wisdom, you learn to be peaceful and considerate, full of mercy and sincere from James 3.17. And because of that, even your enemies will be at peace with you. 1 Kings 5, Proverbs 16. If you have God's kind of wisdom, you learn to fear God and shun evil. Proverbs 3. Because of that, you tend to avoid physical danger and harm. Proverbs 13, verse 20. If you have God's kind of wisdom, you learn to give good advice and help others in making wise decisions. That's back over there in 1 Kings chapter 3. And because of that, people begin to want your opinion and advice. 1 Kings 4.34. And we're talking uh, about God's kind of wisdom here. So, where would you get God's kinds of wisdom? Well, obviously, from God. 1 Kings 10.24 We're told that all the earth was seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And the opportunity wasn't just limited to Solomon. James 1, verse 5, promises us, you and me, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, that does not mean that you pray to God for wisdom and then all of a sudden, boom, you've got wisdom. No. You, You can ask for wisdom and God will give you a discerning heart He will give you the ability to know these things. So, let me just get get back to it. We have the same promise that Solomon had. We can have access to the wisdom of God. And and it's something that we have to strive at in order to... mm, I apologize, I I got distracted there. Uh, But we, we get wisdom by diving into the Word of God, by reasoning. And we're going to dive more into what that means here in just a little bit. But does that mean that people outside of God, the ungodly, are they not wise? Well, no. The Bible often talks about the wisdom of this world. We read about that also in the book of, of James. For, for example, you walk into Walmart, uh, you go to the electronics department, and there's a variety of TVs, right? They're all on display. You see TVs for 100 200 300 up to you know, $300. And then on the uh, other side of the wall, usually it's on the back wall, the bigger ones, the TVs for $1,500, dollars $3,000. And of those two price ranges of televisions, which would you think would be the better TV? The more expensive? Now, the lower price TVs give you a picture, just like the high price models. They also give you a picture. Why would we think that the high priced would be better? Well, it goes back to that old adage that, that 
uh, idiom. You get what you pay for. Yeah, the lower price model will get you a picture, but the standard of quality in those lower-end TVs are lower. They're either more cheaply built, they don't last as long, smaller screens, uh, less refresh rate, uh, the uh, pixel quality is not as good, all kinds of things. The standards are lower, and so the TV is cheaper. The same is true in the difference between human wisdom and godly wisdom. Human wisdom is based on lower standards. Bette Midler once said, I have my standards. They may be low, but I have them. Well, that's true. They're low. (laughs) Most folks make their judgments based on their own level of morality. They'll say, well, I'm just as good as that person over there, or or they'll say, I'm as better than so-and-so. What's the standard in those statements? Well, I am. Me, right? By contrast, God tells us that his standards are higher than that. Isaiah 55, 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Why are God's standards higher than ours? Because scriptures tell us that we don't measure up, and we see the evidence of it. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why when God challenged Solomon to set his life on the right path, he said, If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments, as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days, 1 Kings 3.14. Walk according to God's standards. So godly wisdom is better than human wisdom. And I know we know that, but I wanted us to see that in Scripture. Okay, so what what exactly does godly wisdom look like? James chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, James writes, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The wisdom, or this wisdom, is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace." So what James is saying is that the mark of godly wisdom is that there is that we are pure, peace-loving, considerate, so on and so forth. When you see those traits in a Christian, you've got a pretty good idea that they've tapped into God's wisdom. By contrast, if you find a so-called Christian, or maybe they are a Christian, they're just immature, who is hard to get along with, argumentative, picking fights, putting others down, that person is not showing God's kind of wisdom, is he or she? Godly wisdom has all kinds of benefits. If we want his wisdom that pleases God, God's wisdom is better than man's wisdom. It calls us to a higher standard, doesn't it, of integrity and honor. And that's that kind of wisdom he wants us to strive for. That's the kind of wisdom Solomon wants his children to strive for. And with that in mind, let's let's go back to the original question. Why was Solomon being so down on wisdom in the book of Ecclesiastes? Well, Ecclesiastes is one long commentary on life. 
And Solomon has an agenda in this book. He starts out talking about things that are desirable in this world. He talks about wisdom, pleasure, success, wealth, all kinds of things, all whole lots. And he points out that all those things are good in their own way. But at the end of, of this discussion that he has in the book of Ecclesiastes, at the end of it, on all those desirable things, he says it's all vanity. It's empty. It's worthless. And he starts out focusing on one gift for which he was known, wisdom. Everyone knew Solomon was known for his wisdom. And his intention here is to show that wisdom without God is vain and empty. What good was it? He's right. He's absolutely right. What good would, is wisdom if you don't have God? That's what he wants his children to see. It doesn't matter if you have all that I have, he's telling his children. If you've got everything I've got, and I've got everything, if you have all this plus wisdom, what good is it? It's useless because you can't take it with you. It won't get you into heaven. That doesn't give you a relationship with God. You have to submit. And I, I had a lesson Sunday morning about submission. I, and then I preached this one Sunday night and I, because I, just, I was going to do Titus. But I felt, they, felt like this fits so well after the, the lesson of submission. I just had to do this, and, I, and it did. But anyway, all through the ages, some of the most educated and worldly wise people agreed with Solomon. They don't, I don't think they realized they agreed with Solomon, but they did. H.G. Wells, we all know him probably, at least us older folks, he said this at the age of 61. And he was a, a man that we would say was, had wisdom, was wise of this world. He wrote this, I have no peace. All life is at the end of the tether. Man, his final literary work has been aptly called a scream of despair. What? Why? Because what good was all that he had accomplished in this world now that he was at the end of his life, at the end of the tether, as he put it? What good was it? Vanity. Vanity of vanities. Empty. Worthless. He recognized that. Lord Byron, the poet, also an atheist, he wrote this. My days are in yellow leaf. The flowers and fruits of life are gone. The worm and the canker and the grief are mine alone. Oh, man. These were prominent intellectual giants of their day. Their writing summed up much of the wisdom of men of their day. And yet for all the wisdom they thought they had, their lives were empty. Because wisdom without God eventually gets boring, right? Wisdom without God becomes empty. It becomes worthless. With much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. And like the fool, the wise too must die. The book of Ecclesiastes. In other words, wisdom alone cannot spare you sorrow or grief. And wisdom by itself cannot spare you from death. Wisdom has a great many advantages, but without God, there is little to protect us from the despair and the fears of life and from the fear of death. Even the wisest man faces sorrow and despair. Even the wisest men 
die. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Paul writes, But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Makes me, that, that verse always makes me think of the first verse of the Gospel of John, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you want to know the wisdom of God, you got to hear his Word. That is Jesus. He is Word in the flesh. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. Jesus is our wisdom. Because it is in him that we gain the wisdom of God to deal with our despair and the wisdom to deal with our fear of death. In Jesus, God has given us the power to face what we could never face without him. This world is harsh. It is cruel and difficult to handle at times. But in Jesus, we have the power of redemption and resurrection. I want to end this out by <coughs> excuse me, by reading something for you. This is from an anonymous person. I wish I knew who it was. But whoever this person was once observed that Jesus hung on the cross. All he had left was his trust. So he wrote this quote. Oh, hang on a second. Uh, okay, okay. So here, here, here it is. It's a lengthy read, so bear with me. Talk about rain. Jesus was stripped of all his clothing, of all his friends, all his wealth, all his dignity, all his strength. All he had left while hanging there was his trust. And amazingly, it was that trust and that trust alone that saw him through his death and eventual resurrection. When the sun is shining in our lives, we begin to form the impression that somehow it has been our wisdom, our work, our wealth, our strength that has kept that sun shining and the rain from falling on our heads. We think that somehow we've brought under our control God's blessing toward us. We assume that we are self-made people. But the truth remains that it could start raining, and raining hard. At a moment's notice, and there, <clears throat> and there is precious little we can do about it except to get wet. For we are never self-made people. We are God-made people. And if anyone is to get the credit, it is to be him. We are, after all, always vulnerable to the enemies which surround us, whether we admit it to ourselves or not. So, what is there to do when it does start raining? One option, of course, is to curse it, to engage in debate and speculation as to whose fault it is and what went wrong. I guess it's okay for those who seem to get comfort from such endeavors but it really gets one nowhere. To me, the other option makes more sense. To accept the rain. And then to learn through it. At last. That the only thing that we really have in our world to get us through. The only thing that we can rely upon. The only thing that works. The only thing that no amount of rain can ever take away. It's our trust in God. And sometimes 
We simply fail to realize that. We fail to realize that until we are forced to face the rain without it. I love, I love this saying here. I wish I knew who wrote it. It makes me think of Job. Everything, you know, his life, he had a great life, didn't he? A great life. And then everything was taken away in one day. And then Satan got permission to hurt Job directly. And he got the sores all over his body. And he was sitting there in the, the ashes, Job chapter 2 tells us. And in Job 2, verse 9, his wife, his own wife, said this to him. Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Awesome. What a, what a great attitude. And he, could, he can see. How could he see that? And all of those difficulties. Sometimes when we find ourselves in such misery, we, we have the blinders on and all we can focus on is the bad. But he recognized, you know what? God has blessed me. And there is difficulties in this life. Should I not accept the good and adversity? Sometimes it rains. But I don't blame my, uh, all these other things for the rain. I recognize that, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And he's going to keep trusting in God. This world that we live in is, is harsh. It is cruel. It is unfair. And no amount of earthly wisdom can stop that from happening. But what gives us our advantage as Christians is the wisdom of God that we receive by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That gets us through the storm. And there's always a storm. There's always a storm. And that's why people will, who have wonderful lives, they may have what we would consider everything in this life, and yet when one little thing comes along, they can't deal with it. The rain. Because they don't know how to. Remember Haman, who built the, the, uh, uh, the noose to they kill Mordecai? He had everything, and yet he could not be happy because Mordecai lived. Anyway, that's another story over in the book of Esther. Go read about it. And read the book of Ecclesiastes. Think about these things as we wrap this up. I appreciate you being here with me. And as always, make the most of every opportunity. May God bless you always. Take care. Sitting up to sweep away till she'll dawn the better day. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. To hear this program again and others, go to FamilyValuesRadio1010.com and click on the podcast page and find this program and many others right there on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.